1: The Winter Break Part 1. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, We'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next half an hour or so. It's been another incredible week of football and that means once again we've got a full house. And that means leading the line and wearing the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been since we last spoke?
2: Yeah, good thanks mate. Um, you know, obviously a limited number of matches this weekend to get ourselves into. But other than that, all, all good thanks.
1: Yeah, it was just sort of like the Premier League weekend, which felt like an international break, but wasn't an international break. It was really weird. Drew, I guess you survived because you're here, but how have you been, mate?
0: I'm doing well. Also, had some time to check in on the title races in Germany and Italy, but happy to be here to talk about all things football in England.
1: Fantastic. Right, before we do, let's do the social media bits first. I'll be talking to The Abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at StanTracy1983. And also, the podcast has its own account, which is at Pod. If you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real RealFootballCast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe. And also, leave a review so you can help us move up the league table. If you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find us on SoundCloud and Acast... Well, the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. And what is Loserpool, I hear you ask? It's the company behind the game, Last Man Standing, one which is free to enter, and the prize pool once again stands at £1,000. If this has grabbed your interest, be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account. The odds are winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. And where shall we go first? Well, we can't go to the Etihad because that was rained off, wasn't it? So I guess, in a sense, Cole, that delusual weather has only delayed the inevitable for the Hammers because now there's an issue as to well where they'll play the game. Because the Premier League did actually ask them to consider this weekend with it being the winter break. But both teams have got previous plans already, which is understandable. But now with City being in the Cups, you'd expect them to sort of knock along quite considerably in all those competitions... That's going to mean fixed congestion, not really for them, but for the Hammers. So when they're sort of in that relegation mode, one extra game quite sort of thick and fast is going to be a bit of a bearing for them, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and kind of one extra game against the team that you probably want to get out of the way so you can focus on the others, can't you? Or what you might perceive as winnable games. Um, And as you say, suddenly if West Ham's bad run continues and then suddenly you come up against Man City at a time where you really need points, then it doesn't look too favourable for you, does it? You know, you would have kind of thought, West Ham, you're not sure whether they'd have been relieved this weekend to get that one called off so that they could maybe you know, no one was expecting them to get anything there. But as you say, that extra game coming in now in a period where they might be under real trouble and under the cosh a little bit um, it it just won't be good will it and and as you say the chances are the result's not going to go their way so I can imagine it's probably the headache that they really didn't want to have to deal with considering that their season is going from crisis to crisis. You know, you've got an unhappy fan base. Um, results are not going your right way. Me, personally, I don't think they've brought a manager in that inspires any sort of confidence that you feel this is a this is a man to take them forward for the long term. Um, yeah, a bit of a mess, really. And like as you say, a fixture they wouldn't want.
1: Yeah, I mean, really, they would have looked at that and thought, you know, weather aside, that if we just go there take our punishment, whatever it might be, but it's not really going to define the next sort of 12 games. Just get out of the way, then really focus. Now, though, it's like, oh, they've got that game lurking. They don't know where it is. It could come you know, second to last week. It could be a real game that rudders their momentum even worse. So it's not ideal. And I don't know if you saw Jacqueline Gold's tweet, Cole, about... Him, her sort of bigging up the team and all this, which was the greatest sign of uh, auto-populated tweet because she hadn't, she hadn't recognised or known that the game had been postponed. And she got, ab- she got absolute dog's abuse afterwards. Did you see that?
0: It,
2: it's one of them where you get, the, you know, you have to put the gif of the popcorn at the ready, then, <laughs> then because you know the replies from an already disgruntled fan base are pretty impressive, to be honest. <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't think I can repeat that one. Yeah, the just show, to be honest.
2: No, I mean, most of them, you know, are a little bit crude, but it just goes to show you how out of touch and and like that that ball don't seem to be able to do anything at the moment, do they? To try and get the fans on side, you know, every decision they make or or action they take is just one that seems to wind the fans up even more. So, you know, just get off social media might be the best thing for them.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Okay, so there were three Premier League matches. Before we talk about them, I want to cast the mind back to the FA Cup because there were some talking points. And I know Drew's got a bit of a cracker for us. So, Drew, the floor is yours.
0: Well, yeah. So in the FA Cup replay between Spurs and Southampton, there was a controversial call towards the end of the match, which did lead to a goal in which Min Son was given a penalty. Now, to me, I saw this as a dive. Now, here, here, here's where I want to come at with this. I don't have a problem with diving. I personally find it to be a skill, and I'm all in favor of it. If you can deceive a referee, congratulations to you. You know, every sport has this. This is not unique to football. So I have no problem with diving. But in England, generally, diving is frowned upon and you get punished by a booking. And so for me, I thought Son should have gotten a booking for that. That would have been, I believe, Spurs' third goal, which was the winner. And to me, that should have never happened. Now, obviously, you two are Spurs fans, <laughs> so you might come at this from a different angle, which I'm completely OK with. Um, but again, I didn't think it was a, a penalty. I didn't think Son should have gotten that. And Spurs shouldn't have gone ahead that late into the game.
1: OK, Cole, the floor is now yours. Do you want to to that?
0: I can kind of see where Drew's
2: coming from, but I, I think you know we said this last night on on our Spurs pod, Dan. That I think the way I normally look at it is, how would I feel if um, that penalty was against us? And for me, I think it's one of them where the, the fact that the goalkeeper's arm kind of hits on on the fire, I don't think I I don't think I could argue too much if that had been at the other end against us. I think I would have had to just sit there and go, listen, you know what. That, you know, there's enough probably contact there that means he goes down and gets the penalty. Um, and, and, we and, you know, you could sit there and say silly mistake or, you know, attempt from the goalkeeper to kind of get him. Um, but you can see where Drew's possibly coming from. I just think it's sour grapes from a Chelsea fan to kind of, <laughs> you know, toe this line. Because <laughs> no, he, ob- no. he obviously... <laughs> He obviously <laughs> knows that Jose is bringing the FA Cup to White Hart Lane, doesn't he? And and he just wants to try and ruin the party anywhere he can.
0: Well, oh, you got me, Carl. That's exactly it. I just can't stand to see Spurs win the FA Cup. You got me. Yeah,
1: that's it. The, the The motive has been um, uncovered. But we talk about the FA Cup. The kids seem to be all right, Carl, because they got through to the fifth round. Liverpool. Now they've got Chelsea. Will you see Klopp step things up a notch, or is it still going to be a case of? You know, fringe players, do what you can. If we get through even further, great. If not, all roads ahead for the league and the Champions League.
2: I think what we'll probably see is an element of both, won't we? I think you'll probably find here that Klopp will bring back in some of the kind of fringe players from the first team. Um, But I think he will stick with the majority of those youngsters, probably as well to save a little bit of face for playing the youngsters in the previous couple of rounds, you know, to then do that and then suddenly throw in all the first team um, in this next round. I can't see him doing it, but... I think we'll have a little bit more of a, a side where you've got some fringe players like Shakiri and people like that, you know, Origi finding a performance for themselves um, and seeing if they can get past Chelsea because that one obviously will be the toughest game they've faced so far in this competition away from home. Um, but I don't think he'll go full first team.
1: So, Drew, obviously you'll be anticipating the meeting of Liverpool in a few weeks. Do you see this as a real opportunity to claim a scalp, as it were, solidify your own cup hopes, or will a lot of that boil down to the actual strength of that Liverpool team?
0: Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, from the Chelsea perspective, I would love to see Liverpool play their youth side again. They got blasted by Aston Villa in the League Cup, so why wouldn't Chelsea, who's better than Aston Villa, be able to do the exact same? So I would love to see Klopp play all those young kids, you know, from a selfish perspective. But that's a reason why I don't think he's going to do it. I 100% agree with Carl. I think you're going to see a mix. You're going to see guys like Origi, Lallana, uh Loverin, possibly, things like that. Uh, and then a mixture with some of the younger kids. But yeah, I think this is important for Chelsea to try and go after the FA Cup. For these young kids that they have, Tammy Abraham, Callum Hudson-Odoi, etc., I think it's important for them to be able to get a first piece of silverware as well. Because don't forget... They're on the cusp of the top four, and they could very easily drop out, right? They've had their problems this year in attack. They've had their problems defensively with set pieces. And so for Chelsea, I think to actually have a tangible reward that they can see at the end of the year winning a trophy, I think, is something that can go a long way for them as kind of younger, newer, professional footballers. And so for Chelsea, I think they should put out a fairly strong lineup and be able to or or try and and beat Liverpool, and try and win the FA Cup. I think it would do wonders for them.
1: Right, Okay. let's get to what little Premier League action there was. In the first game, saw Everton get the better of Crystal Palace. So, Cole, it does seem like it really is full steam ahead for Everton at the moment. Are they going to be part of the conversation for European places, or is there just a little bit too much work to do?
2: Yeah, I think this season will probably be a little bit too much to do. I think I mentioned last week, though, I think if you're an Everton fan, I think you must really be starting to get excited about what could happen next season. Because under Ancelotti, obviously, he's coming. They're getting some really good results and performances, you know, under their belt. And I think the excitement comes possibly thinking, okay, well, this season, you know, the expectations are not there. Um, But I believe, you know, once he has a summer and possibly, you know, given the fact that he'll be able to bring in probably a better calibre of player than they've been used to before, then I'd be starting to get a little bit excited now about at least being in the shout for the Europa League and even possibly in with a shout of top four next season, you know, um, dependent on summer activity. So I think this season it's probably a little bit too late and a little bit too much left to do, but I definitely think you know the future there is exciting under Ancelotti, and you know Everton, you know, look like they could be going places if they get it all right.
1: Absolutely, I think like I said last week, Leicester are going to be in the blueprint. Bed in, do what you need to do in this sort of last third of the season. Work out what improvements need to be made, and then if you get that right, you're absolutely flying as Leicester are this season. However, Drew, there is probably just an inkling that Everton could do all right this season because at the moment they're seventh. Um, Man Utd and Wolves still have to play. Manchester United face your boys. Wolves play Leicester. So there could be drop points for both of them. And if Everton finish that game week in seventh, all of a sudden, this season, which, you know, what, six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, was an absolute shipwreck, has been sort of re and is floating once more, isn't it?
0: Oh, absolutely. And the good thing for Everton, and really anyone chasing those Europa League spots and even the, the fourth place position, is All these teams, you're right, they have to play each other even beyond this weekend, right? Chelsea and Man United are coming up, but after that, Chelsea still have to play Spurs. I think Spurs and Man United are playing each other as well. And so all of these teams are going to be you know, crushing each other and taking points off each other. So for Everton, I do think they absolutely have a chance. And like you mentioned, this is a complete 180 from where they were back in the fall. Now for Everton... Here's, I think, the problem is they're going to need help from the cup winners because if only fifth place goes to the Europa League, then I don't think they make it. But if sixth and seventh become available, then I definitely think the Toffees have a chance because Ancelotti has turned them around. I think Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin are proving to be an underrated strike partnership. And so I think they do have some of the pieces there and they're close enough at this point where with some help from other clubs dropping points, I actually think Everton have a legitimate shot of making it to the Europa League this season. As crazy as that sounds, when you think about it and where they were back in the fall.
1: I guess that also sort of highlights just how tight the Premier League has been, that no real cluster of teams have run away by Liverpool. like The rest are feeding off scraps. And it only needs a real concentrated run to change the landscape of your season, which Everton are doing. And of course, they did beat Crystal Palace. Drew, I'll stay with you. We had a very quick conversation on Saturday about Jordan Pickford. I said that, for me, he's not England's number one anymore. Too erratic. And, you know, I just don't feel that he's going to be the man to wear the gloves during Euro 2020. You came in with suggestions such as Rob Green and Joe Hart. Um, maybe not the actual ideal replacements. But for you, do you stick or twist? And if you don't, who would you be going for to lead the free lines this summer?
0: Jordan Pickford right now is doing everything wrong to <laughs> yeah. keep his place for Euro 2020. I mean, really, after the since the World Cup, he's really seen a precipitous decline. And so I think right now, Gareth Southgate, I, I truly think the the matches in March could be with the goalkeeper position up for grabs. Friendlies or not. I think that's how bad Jordan Pickford has been this year in terms of shot stopping. If I'm Gareth Southgate, it's an open competition to me. I think Jordan Pickford is, is in the conversation. I think Dean Henderson should get a shout from Sheffield United. Maybe Nick Pope. I know a lot of people are pointing to him. There's been rumors about him, even in January, about a transfer to a bigger club. I don't quite see that. I I really do think that Dean Henderson is probably one of the other guys in contention. Part of it is that feel-good factor. Part of it is how impressive Sheffield United have been. And, of course, part of it is how good Dean Henderson has been himself in goal as well. So I think it's really going to come... It's going to come down to those three. And right now, there's no clear favourite. Maybe Pickford, because he's the incumbent, but he is destroying his chances every single week when he plays for Everton.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, you look at Saturday, you look at the game against Newcastle, where they threw away a two-goal lead in injury time. And, Carl, as someone who will also be keenly awaiting Euro 2020, what do you make of Pickford at the moment? Because, for me, he's erratic. And that's not a good trait to having a goalkeeper. But if you can back it up with solid performances and not making mistakes, then you can sort of go, oh, you know, goalkeepers are mental, that kind of thing. But, you know, for for me, he makes mistakes. And then the next thing you see is him bollocking his back four, as if to say, like, you know, like, what have you been doing there? He's like, he never sort of takes ownership of his own mistakes. So why does he not do that?
2: Oh, he's a goalkeeper, Dan, and we never used to take, you know, credit for anything (laughs) (laughs) being down to us, not at all. Um, But... I think the problem with him is he obviously seems to be extremely, extremely confident character, doesn't he? You know, he obviously fancies himself as a bit of a penalty taker. If it comes to it, fancies himself for saving penalties. And that's a great thing. I think one of his problems may come down to just concentration sometimes. And, you know, letting his mind wander and suddenly thinking of things, you know, that the worst thing you can do is suddenly be thinking, right, when I catch this, who am I throwing it to? And before you know it, it's through your gloves and in the net and you look a bit of a pillock. Um, Um, And I think maybe that's what it comes down to still is his concentration sometimes isn't there. He wants to try and do the kind of... You know, flash maybe you know look the real good thing rather than just doing something really simple and making a basic save or you know not rushing to do something and maybe that will just come with some experience. But as you say, the way things are going and some of the mistakes he's making at the moment, he does leave himself open for some criticism. And I agree with Drew. I think your friendlies are your perfect time to throw in a different goalkeeper, give them a couple of games and just see how they perform. Um, Because not funny, you're not going to learn nothing more about Pickford right now, are you? So get someone else in, give them a chance, learn something new. You might find that someone like Nick Pope or something excels and takes a chance and if they carry on the form they they're in and you know Pickford carries on making some clangers then it's all up for grabs come the time the Euros start.
1: Yeah, I mean March is gonna be absolutely key really isn't it? And talking about England and Pickford, Drew, Pickford made the news yesterday, I think it was Monday. He said that as an England player, people just love to hate him, them. Is that really true? Or from him, from his point of view, does that smack of someone who has an almighty chip on their shoulder at the moment?
0: Well, I definitely think he has gotten a lot of stick over the past season and a half. And so I think that's where his comments are really coming from. I will say this. If you're a professional athlete, if you're any type of famous person, you are going to be subject to a lot more public scrutiny and especially... In England, the home of football, where not too long ago, he was the goalkeeper who was going to bring it home, right? It was coming home with Jordan Pickford in goal. And now, if he's there at the Euros, it doesn't seem as if he is a reliable pair of hands at the back. And so I think that's where people are really looking at this like, hey, you know what? He could be a liability, which causes England to fail at home, no less, with the semifinals and final in in, uh, Wembley. And so I think that's where fans are coming from in their criticism of him. And I'm sure there's been plenty of crazy people saying wild things that shouldn't be said. Um, But I I think for the the average person who's reasonable in their criticism, it comes from that position of being so close in 2018 with Jordan Pickford, and now him being the person that could keep England far away from winning the tournament. And so I think that's where it comes from. So, for Jordan Pickford, I can understand as a person why he doesn't like it and and whatnot, but I do think a lot of a lot of criticism has been pretty fair of him, and so he should have a chip on his shoulders. he should be kind of upset or angry at the situation that he sees in front of him. I don't think he should be taking shots at fans who are fairly criticizing him, the ones who say you know ridiculous things that that's a different animal um but i but I think Pickford has something to prove right now, and he really has to fight to earn his spot back. And if he does that, then he probably won't be as upset about the criticism he receives because he'll know that it's unjustified.
1: Of course, on Saturday, it wasn't all bad for Pickford because he did make a very good save when the score was leveled at one all. and then minutes later, Everton go down the other end, 2-1 up, and then they go and come to win the game 3-1. So, ultimately, Cole, that means no winning 7 now for Crystal Palace. So, they've hit the skids. The bigger question, are they going to get sucked into this season's relegation battle?
2: I think, obviously, one of the problems Palace have, doesn't they? And and it's any team that, you know, struggles to score goals will always run the risk of possibly falling into that danger zone. And and unfortunately, that is the problem Palace have, isn't it? You know, they've never been the most attacking team. You know, they're not renowned for scoring threes and fours in games. They do seem to struggle to score regularly, don't really have an out-and-out, you know, 20-a-goal season striker. Um, But one of the things they used to be able to do was defend and keep clean sheets. And obviously you know, under Roy... You know the view will be that if we keep a clean sheet, well, then we do only need to score one and we win the game. Um, the fact, If you keep conceding, then obviously you've either got to score two or three in a game to win it. And for teams that can't score, you, you're never going to be able to turn that around. So they need to try and find the goal scorer. But I, I really think Palace are coming to a kind of crossroads again, where they need to kind of look at what what sort of club are they going to become and what are their ambitions? You know, How long are they going to stick with Hodgson? Are they going to make a change? And somebody brings someone new in with fresh ideas. They might have been stunned by trying to do that with the Boer in the past, and seeing that that was just a car crash, and you know, hence turn into Roy. Um, so I think they're really reaching a crossroads. But any team that can't score in the Premiership regularly is going to get sucked in, and, and I think Palace could find themselves down there in and around the end of the season. But I think they'll probably just be safe because, you know, with players like Zahar and Townsend and people like that around, they should have enough creativity if they can just find their shooting boots.
1: Yeah, you're certainly right in the sense that they're not a two-goal team. And I think they've conceded in their last 11 league matches. So, you know, that points to the lack of goals and how they're doing it wrong. You look at Sheffield United, they're not scoring a lot, but they're not giving much away either. And they're getting it right in terms of, you know, being quite stingy in terms of their attacking play, which we'll get to in a bit. But it's working for them, the inverse of palace. And Drew, I think Cole's right in the sense they probably will just stay up. But this kind of hitting the skids, this free fall down the Premier League, it almost smacks of what happened to Brighton last season under Chris Shewton. They stayed up, but he paid the ultimate price. So we talk about the crossroads. Do you think Palace will turn off in a different direction come
0: the summer? It's hard to see them sticking with Roy Hodgson for practical reasons. It seems as if the only reason they'll keep him is, well, he's kept us up and he's already in the position and it's easier. But footballing on the pitch, there's really no reason to keep Hodgson. He's done a great job coming in uh, when he did following DeBoer's exit that Carl alluded to. Right, He's done all right last season and, and this year. But that's the problem for, for Crystal Palace. They're surviving. And for a club that has been consistently in the Premier League the past few seasons, they should be trying to take that next step up to mid-table and, and not always be battling relegation. Keeping Roy Hodgson is not going to take them into that comfortable zone. And so I don't think they should keep him. Again, though, it seems like they're going to take the easy road out. He's already in place. The players know him. We might as well just leave him in charge. And he hasn't been relegated yet anyways. So he probably won't this year either. I think that's the thinking. And to me, if I'm a Crystal Palace fan, that's not enough. That's not enough initiative. That's not enough desire out of the, the, the board and the club. And so I would not like to see that. But I fear... That's what they're going to do. Is they're just going to leave him in place, out of uh, you know, to make it easy on themselves.
1: Yeah, I think Cole also raised an excellent point about fingers burnt and you know the grass not being green on the other side. That the fact that the Frank Leboeuf experiment was such a shambles, and obviously Roy came in and turned things around. And they're probably thinking we cannot afford to make that same bad mistake. So then, Drew, like you say. Well, we're not relegated. Let's just roll the dice again. But they're never really going to aspire to be anything else, and it's just that sort of ever decreasing circles, really. So it's going to be a key summer for Palace. I mean, it's almost, it's always really a key summer every summer for Palace, isn't it, Carl? But they never really start to sort of get their ducks lined up properly, do they? And they always find themselves in the same situation.
2: Yeah, they're one of those sides that you know it never seems like their transfer business is enough for what they need and and like as you say when you consider the emergence of some teams that have come up from the championship as in Wolves and now this season obviously Sheffield United and you know if, if you're a Palace fan you start to sit there and think well hold on a minute you know if these sides can come straight up and be this impressive how have we been sitting around in this league for so long and we don't really seem to have progressed anywhere um, and like as you say it is just a case now of they've got to try and define what they want to become, um, how they go about it. Um, and what they do, because as you say, Hodgson is a safe pair of hands, no doubt about it. Um, you know, you, good chance you won't get relegated under him, but a good chance you won't really progress as a club and achieve anything. And as you say, when you're transfer business, yeah, you know, I mean, they brought the guy in from Everton, didn't they, in January? Who, let's face it, you're a team struggling to score goals. You bring in a forward who's not renowned for scoring goals at the club he's at now, anyway. So, as you say, who who was behind that transfer, and what's the thinking there? Because because that isn't somebody that's going to spark you off in a new direction. You know they may have been better there taking a chance on someone like Bowen from Hull and thinking, well, that's you know an exciting young player who's scoring goals. That's here if he can make the step up. But you know to bring in another forward who's underperforming and doesn't really set the world alight, you just have to question who's sanctioning these transfers and what the ambition behind it is.
1: Andrew, when we talk of forwards, one obviously came in with Czech Tusson Will Sahar is always one who could be going, but he's not had a great season by his own sort of levels. What's the market value at the moment? Who puts in a bid for him in the summer? Do you see him actually going this summer? How do you see it panning out for the Ivorian?
0: If Crystal Palace want to cash in on him, this is definitely their last opportunity because he's starting to get up there in age. And I could see this as a year that they seriously finally look into it. And for him... He wants to get out. He's talked about playing Champions League football. So for him, it's also Zaha's last chance to leave. I'll, I'll go from the Chelsea perspective because he's been linked with them on several occasions. I don't I don't understand it. I think he underperforms every single season. You alluded to it already, Dan. This year he's not having a great season. And his record high in the or his career high in the league for goals is 10 and 10 assists. Now those were in the same year which combined, yeah, pretty good total, but he can't do it consistently, and I think he's always overvalued. So many times, Palace want to sell him for 70, 80 million pounds, and to me, there's no team that should bite on that because he doesn't have enough production. He's not clinical enough. If he's going to be a goal-scoring talisman, he's not a pass-first type of guy. He is a shoot-first type of guy, which is fine, but you need more goals in there for me if you're going to be you know, an 80 million pound signing and you're going to be the new talisman at my club, you got to do better than 10 goals. So for me, if I'm a big six club, which is what his desire is to go to, I'm not looking at Zaha really. Maybe someone who's in the Europa League, Sheffield United, Wolves, Everton, maybe someone like that. But again, Champions League side, I don't think Zaha really brings that much to you. And so I wouldn't be chasing him if I'm one of the bigger clubs.
1: Okay, Carl, I'll throw that to you then because we're a team that's also been linked with Zaha in the past. So, you know, not a great season. We know Levy's the one who likes to negotiate. So, 80 million for him would be a real stretch anyway. But could you see him coming to Spurs? Could he give a role to Spurs? Considering what he's done over the last season or two, would you be keen for him?
2: I don't think so now if you look at the options we've got in our squad, Dan. Because if you think about where he'd play, I think now, you know, we've obviously just brought in Bergwine. Um, you've got Son and Mora who kind of play out in that position. And you kind of think they're all a little bit similar, aren't they? In the fact that, you know, I wouldn't say any of them are ultra consistent, um, all kind of have a similar game. The only thing I'd be interested to see with Zaha is if he's in a team suddenly where he's not the only danger man and teams don't suddenly decide, well, that's just double up up on him and kind of shut him down any time he gets the ball Um, because obviously that is something teams will do against Palace, you know, you just shut Zahara out of the game, don't give him time on the ball because they don't really have anyone else who hurts you so it'd be interesting to see if he can make the step up but I don't think it'd be with Spurs I think Drew throws a good shout out there with someone like Everton um, who has, say, next season could be looking to aspire to that Europa League and um, a possible top four challenge. Now, they probably could do with someone like him, definitely. Um, and, you know, even I know Arsenal fans would really want him, you know, wanted him over Pepe. You know, if you look at the money that Arsenal spent on Pepe, I think most of them would tell you now that they'd have preferred to have spent that same amount of money on Zaha. Um, so I think it's a re- he would definitely need to leave. I think, you know, he sat around the Palace a little bit too long now. He needs to move. But it, is, it will be hard to see who he goes to, given his numbers don't really make it seem like he's a consistent performer.
1: Yeah, I think the options are starting to dwindle, aren't they? I think Everton could be the most perfect shout. Because I think if you look at the top end of the table, I don't really think there's a logical option there. So someone who's in that you know, Europa League kind of bracket, that could be the next logical step. And then who knows where he goes from there? But as you say... Hindsight is wonderful in football, and I think Arsenal, as the, even as the club as the board, they probably think they would have just gone for that Zahar purchase now, because Pepe's not really living up to that club record, is he? Right, let's move on, because there was another game that day, it was Brighton versus Watford. They played out a draw. Brighton are no means safe either, because they've had no win in six, although their last two games, that has seen them, I guess, earn battling points. So that call will be at least some form of positive to Graham Potter.
2: Yeah, they, they're they having a funny season, aren't they, Brighton? You know, they can have a couple of games where they look really good and then a couple of games where you, you kind of question, mm, actually, not so sure. I, I like the guy in charge. I think he's doing a really good, you know, he, he seems a really likeable character and seems to do a good job, says the right things in the press. But again, they are one of those sides right now that, you know, a wrong turn in momentum, you know, and you could see them getting sucked into that relegation battle because they're another team that don't really score many goals, don't have a consistent striker who's doing it for them. Um, I, I think they'll probably just be safe. But I I see them getting sucked in a little bit. But as you say, those last performances at least show there's a fighting spirit there. And and I think that comes from the fact that those players are playing for the manager. So I think they'll just be safe, but there's a risk they will get sucked in.
1: And Drew, what have you made of Graham Potter? Because it's obvious that the team or the club have backed him and his philosophy because they've extended his contract during the season, which is quite rare, especially for a new man. But when you look at points per game compared to last season, which is always a bit of a dangerous comparison, is actually less than Houston. So has it been a successful switch? Is there still going to have to be more time? Have they got time? I mean, how can you see things panning out in the final third on the South Coast?
0: Well, you know, honestly, I think it kind of, to a certain degree, mirrors what we talked about with Crystal Palace when they brought in DeBoer. They wanted a change of style to make it fresh and innovative. And that's why they brought in Graham Potter and it worked in the beginning, right? They had a pretty good start to the season, and that's why people got excited. And now they've really started to level off, especially, as Carl talked about, in goal scoring, and that's been a big issue for them. And that's kind of been their problem right now. I think Graham Potter, he he has the the tactical nows to get Brighton to a comfortable position in the Premier League, right? We saw it in the beginning of the year. But now that those goals aren't coming... You're starting to see their flaws, and I think that's kind of been the issue with them. So for Brighton, I'm not so confident in them. I honestly think they're going to continue to slip down a little bit. Once the goals start coming back, that's when they're, that's, that's going to be their best opportunity to survive. But I'm not sure if that's going to happen. I mean, is Neil Mope really going to have you know an end to the season like he had to the beginning? That kind of came out of nowhere, right? Glenn Murray, who was one of their best strikers last season. Hasn't really played all that much this year, and therefore he hasn't contributed his goals. And so that's my fear for Brighton. So I'm not very confident that they're going to get out of the releg or out of the relegation battle. Not zone, I was going to say, um, but I think they're going to be right into it right until the final day. And I would not be surprised if they're flirting with that 17th or 18th spot come that final day of the season.
1: Yeah, I think it really is going to go down to the wire because it could be what one of six teams. And one of those, of course, Carl, is Watford. So we just mentioned that Brighton have battled in their last two games and earned points, which has gave them some sort of credit. I guess the flip side for Watford, because they've thrown away a slew of points in the last two games. That defeat to Everton when they were 2-0 up, of course, Saturday against Brighton. So that really is the difference between them being on the wrong and the right side of the relegation dotted line at the moment.
2: Yeah, they had their new manager bounce, didn't they? And Pearson, looked like he was kind of suddenly giving them a real shower of safety. Um, and obviously the momentum's just gone slightly. I so say that that defeat against Everton will suddenly be the one that they really kick themselves for because you know the way that they conceded the goals that cost them the game, um, and and conceding goals like that suddenly spreads you know you know panic in your t- as a team and can suddenly. Def- The confidence you used to have. You know, Foster's suddenly started to come in for catches and crosses that he should really be leaving defenders to deal with. Um, So I think, you know, if they're going to survive, they've got to turn it around and start getting those results again, especially at home. you just wonder whether there's been too much left there to do because they are going to go on a sticky run again at some point. Um, and you just kind of feel maybe they've given themselves a bit too much to do this season. Um, but if Pearson's got to try and find the magic that he did when he first came in, because as we, you know, the key word there is momentum, you get on the wrong side of it, and next thing you know, you're in trouble. So they've got to pick it up again and try and stop conceding these sloppy goals.
1: Drew, one player who's impressed me for Watford in these last few weeks is Abdoulaye DeCore, and it seems as if Nigel Pearson's playing him in, in a number 10 role, which we've never really seen before, and Saturday was another game where they reap the benefits.
0: Yeah, his goal was absolutely fantastic, a great run from him. You know, I, I, I believe for a few years now, it's been Dekore who's been saying that he should leave Watford and head to a Champions League club. I believe it's him, and... People have kind of maybe mocked him a bit or thought he's, he's reaching above his head. Uh, but in the past few matches, and I think in this one in particular, against Brighton and his goal, he has shown that, you know what, he probably could earn a spot on a Champions League squad. Now, of course, it depends on which one. And, you know, something that he could do is, let's say, if he leaves the Premier League and goes to another country, I think he has a chance to fulfill his goal. He's looked great the past few games. He's going to be key for Watford playing, like you said, in more of a a number 10 role, which is new for him. But if he can play the same way he did against Brighton and he can have a few more uh, great runs and goals like he did in this match, then I think he might be able to give Watford that little glimmer of hope that they need to maybe make it out of the relegation zone. Ultimately, I don't think it happens. I think they're too far behind. I 100% agree with Carl. But – All you need is that little bit of hope. And I think Decore could give them that.
1: Okay, let's move on to Sunday's only game now. And Sheffield United, they just won't lie down, will they? 39 points. So they're going to be in the Premier League next season. There's no doubt about that. However, Cole, could they be in the Champions League next season? Because if we're talking about Tottenham adding a threat, I think it's unfair to roll out the blades now, isn't it?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can't rule them out, can you? As you said earlier, Dan, you know, they've got this spirit about them, you know, and they don't give much away, you know, they don't concede many goals. Um, They play some really good football, you know. I mean, remember being there today, you know, at White Hart Lane, and they absolutely played us off the park that day, and somehow, you know, we managed to get something from that game. So you certainly can't rule them out. You kind of feel... um, that they they probably won't make the top four, but the fifth or sixth is definitely in within their grasp. Um, And what a season it will be for them, you know, to come out of nowhere like they have. Um, And, you know, when you're looking at a team where they've probably got no real household names, and if you ask the average person on the street who's in football, real off five or six, Sheffield United players, they probably couldn't. Um, So, Chris Wilder has done a fantastic job there. And, you know, they are in with a shout. You know, as you say, we can't rule them out. And the fact that they don't concede many and they're getting results over the line, then who knows? You know, the the glory is there and and they can kind of relax. Not saying relax for the rest of the season, but they've got a free shot now, haven't they? Because there's no way they're ever going to go down. Um, They should finish within the top 10. And, you know, why not now? They can they can take the reins off and go for it. Well, this
1: is it, Drew, isn't it? Because now you've sort of reached your primary objective, which was staying up. That's been ticked quite easily. Now they're playing with a freedom for the last third of the season. It's all sort of, it's all go really, isn't it? Now, nothing's off the table. Nothing's going to stop them. So it's only really, I guess, how much they really want to be in Europe next season.
0: Yeah. And it tr- their destiny truly is in their hands because between now and the end of the season, still in the Premier League, they go to Old Trafford to play Man U, they host Spurs, they host Wolves, they host Chelsea, they travel to Leicester. If they can take points off these teams and imagine if they get three points, especially in some of those home matches where Bram lane has been a fortress, then they certainly could achieve fourth place, which I think would be phenomenal. I mean, sorry Wolves, coming up from the championship and getting to the Europa League was cute, but you know what? Coming up from the championship and getting to the Champions League, that is unbelievable. So Sheffield United, what a story that would be. Ultimately, I do think they are gonna miss out only just, but still, good luck to them. That would be something phenomenal for them to go from the second division and in their first year to get to the Champions League. Unbelievable story, good luck to Sheffield United
1: and Cole on the basis of these performances Chris Wilder will definitely be a shout for manager of the year however further down the line could you see him being an England manager because you talk about him and household names and how he hasn't really got any would that be a step too far you know is he sort of just perfectly suited to this club or could you see him expanding his career and actually being on the international stage
2: I guess this is one of those questions isn't it we, we've seen a few managers like this in the past haven't we where they take a kind of dark horse team and suddenly everyone starts bigging this manager up and then you suddenly they get the chance of a big job and suddenly they don't fulfil that kind of potential that everyone had in them and I guess this will be the interesting one with Chris Wilder won't it because he, he seems to say the right things and you kind of love his approach I guess the next step now is you know, after this season he will be getting looked at by some big clubs you know if big clubs are going to make a change, his name will certainly now be in be in the ring and be in with a shout. Um, and it, I would be interested to see how he can cope with maybe some bigger egos, um, players that, you know, if you call them out in a post-match press conference, how they then react and can you keep the dressing room on the side. Um, but the, as you say, Dan, quite rightly up there, I, I, you know, let's face it, if it wasn't for Liverpool and their success so far, he would be manager of the season. But there's no denying that you'd have to give it for Klopp, given what, you know, Liverpool are achieving. But he's second place, 100%. And, yeah, he'll definitely be in which out of getting a top job. And why not take it and see where he can go?
1: And, Drew, last week we spoke about how Liverpool continue their legacy. So not quite on the same level. But how does Sheffield United keep this momentum going? Because if you take into account, fundamentally, this is a squad which has got from League One to the Premier League. So, how many tweaks, how many changes will be needed over the summer to keep the red-white machine going?
0: Well, they're definitely going to have to add a goal scorer because although their defence has been phenomenal this year, attacking-wise, they haven't put that many into the back of the net. And so to for them, in order to keep the train going, I think you have to qualify for the Europa League again next season. So you need to make sure that you can do that. You need to add goals. Plus, the added amount of travel and, and matches played, having to balance the Europa League and domestic competitions, I think you need to bring in at least one player at the other positions as well, at least one player in midfield and at least one extra defender. But even at that, are those people going to are those guys going to be able to integrate into the squad right away, right? The different things they have with overlapping fullbacks? Something is different. Is a central defender going to be able to play that position well? from the get-go if they bring him in. So these are the questions that they're going to have to to ask themselves. One thing that's going to help them is they're going to have a lot of extra money at their disposal from the Premier League TV money. And then, of course, getting into Europe, they're going to have that as well. So hopefully they're going to be able to spend it wisely. But they will have to add, at minimum, one player at every position. And especially they need goals.
1: Of course, Cole, they did get the better of Bournemouth, although it was the Cherries who started the brightest with their early goal through Callum Wilson. So at that point, you thought, hang on, is Bournemouth's resurgence going to continue? However, half-time just approaching, they conceded a goal to Billy Sharp, and that was the game that turned the momentum for the host, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I, I I do kind of worry about Bournemouth this season. You know, it it just you know injuries and sort of like small squad and everything like that are kind of taking their toll. And you just wonder if this might be the season too far for them. Um, you know, I, I I can see them getting sucked in and being in big trouble. Um, by the end of the season you know they're one of the teams now that if, if you ask me to select three that go down I think Bournemouth would certainly be you know one of those teams that I might be picking Um, they've got to try and turn it round. the only trouble I see with Bournemouth is again they're the sort of team that can possibly put you know can they put two or three results together that you possibly need to get yourself away from trouble I don't think they are and I think that's what will ultimately suck them in this year um, and for, and this could be the time that you know, we 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 wave goodbye to them. You know, they've got such limited resources, um, you know, and it's hard to fight on that level when you've not got the same sort of resources that other teams have got. Um, I think Eddie Howe possibly needs to look at what he's doing there because if you read up on the kind of... Input he has, he's kind of running and got his finger in lots of pies rather than just concentrating on the football. So he might have to learn to kind of like, you know, give some of that work or some of those duties out to other people so that he can concentrate on the football side more. Um, but yeah, I, I fear for them at the moment the way things are going.
1: And Joe, of course, that late winner from John Lundstrom that would be a bitter, a better pill to swallow for Bournemouth. I mean, you could see quite clearly the the visible frustration on Eddie Howe's face. And I think it was a face that says, we've got some work to do here, haven't we?
0: Yeah, and I think he has to be disappointed that it was such a late goal. They were so close to getting a point away at Sheffield United, which, you know, not a lot of clubs have been able to do this season. So I think that was part of it. And then, of course, they took the lead early on. It was from Callum Wilson, who hasn't had a great season, but he started to turn it around. And so I think Eddie Howe was thinking, you know what, maybe, maybe we're going to do all right. And then as the second half ticked on, and then finally that last goal was really the dagger in the heart. And I think that's why it was such a big letdown, because they had played fairly well, especially relative to, to what their form has been this season. And so I think that's why Eddie Howe kind of had this, this false sense of hope building up throughout the match, and that it was all taken away from that final strike uh, from Lundstrom. And so I think that's why it was a big letdown for him and another missed opportunity. And they are really in this relegation fight and they have a big scrap on their hands. Callum Wilson is going to have to continue to score and someone else is going to have to help him out because Bournemouth right now, it's not looking good for them.
1: Right. In terms of work to do, our work is done. So only three matches to talk about. So I think 45 minutes, you didn't do too bad, actually. So if you're Sheffield United, Bournemouth... Everton Palace fan, etc., etc. You've got some bonus content this week. Right, so I need to thank my duo of co-hosts. Carl, thank you ever so much for your time this afternoon.
0: Cheers, Dan. Really enjoyed that, mate.
1: Cheers, buddy. And Drew, likewise, thank you ever so much. I hope you'll be back in the fold next week.
0: Yes, of course. Well, thank you. I appreciate it and uh, enjoy talking to you guys as always.
1: Fantastic. Of course, there's six matches to uh, talk about next week, so we'll probably get back to closer to the hour. Although, if it's Wolves Leicester on Valentine's Day and you've got a partner... Good luck watching that one. Right, with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye.